What's up everyone and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host Mike DeCebedo and this week we discuss contradictions, or the paradox investors face when a company makes a product that both helps and hurts society. And then we discuss the reporting by the Financial Times on how calls for more data about workplace diversity will play out during next year's proxy season. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. Before the pandemic turned 2020 into the epoch of anxiety, there was a big push in our society to try and address the problem of waste. Paper waste, packaging waste, and of course, plastic waste. Researchers have been sounding the alarm on how damaging plastics are for our ecological systems, and governments had finally started to try and take action to curb the problem of plastic waste. In 2019, the EU implemented a ban on single-use plastics. Then a number of states in the U.S. issued bans on plastic bags, and China unveiled a plan to ban non-degradable bags by the end of 2020. Things were slow, they were kind of mostly focused on bags, but they were moving. And it was the same for paper and packaging waste. Companies like PepsiCo, Best Buy, Aldi, Amazon, all pledged to cut down on unnecessary packaging. But then, COVID hit, and everything was reversed. The plastic bans I mentioned, those have all been basically delayed. And while Amazon has used machine learning to cut down on its waste, I say Amazon because they are the biggest producers of packaging waste, they still have not been able to deal with the fact that their sales have increased so exponentially that their packaging is actually clogging up recycling systems and not helping anybody out. People are buying more single-use products than ever before, according to research by the World Economic Forum. This is partly because they are staying at home, but also because COVID has created an environment where everyone needs to worry about what they are touching and what they are sharing in a public space. But the problem of waste has not gone away. It's only gotten worse. So to understand the long-term effects of this waste issue delayed, I called up my colleague Sam Block because Sam has been covering the waste industry for us for some time, and he just got done writing a report on the paper and forestry industry. And first, I asked him to give me his thoughts on what has been going on with the waste issue during COVID. And also, as COVID has upended how we deal with waste, it has also upended our working conditions. And so from time to time, you're going to hear Sam's adorable child make her debut on the pod. Anyway, here's Sam. Yeah, there's definitely been a refocus on um, consumer demand since COVID happened. I mean, this, people are starting to f- focus more on single-use products that, that will help keep them uh, safe from, from COVID. Uh, people have been buying more high, you know, cleaning wipes. They've been buying more paper towels. People kind of lost their minds over toilet paper back in March. And so definitely there's a lot of packaging companies that have been benefiting in in certain ways. And, you know, many packaging companies have also been responding to by by um, increasing their production of these of these certain product lines that are 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 more in demand. For example, we cover this company called Berries Global, B-E-R-R-Y. And it makes these plastic packaging products, basically in the form of what's called polypropylene, which is these bonded together plastic sheets. And they're used to make things like masks and HEPA filters. And now, normally, uh, if 
I read that there was an increase in plastic production, it would cause me a little bit of anxiety. I know all the problems with plastic waste and how environmentally damaging it is, how it damages biodiversity, how it's getting into the food we eat and into our bodies and into our air, et cetera, et cetera. But when I see the word masks now, when I see the word HEPA filters now, when I think back on the shortages that were around in the U.S. especially, I think to myself, thank God that there are these companies out there making this stuff because we were in such short supply months ago and that was costing us lives. And so COVID has created this situation where companies that used to be on the hot seat that were kind of under pressure by both investors and regulators to cut down on their waste are now being seen as these necessary essential businesses that are required to keep us safe. Really, COVID did take the pressure off these companies. You know, while in 2019, you saw a, a very large push for sustainable um, packaging uh, features, you know, such as, you know, using recycled material or biodegradable bags. Um, it's kind of been pushed off a little bit by COVID. And when these programs are pushed off, they aren't just set aside to be easily picked up again. The World Economic Forum conducted research on how consumers respond to change, like the change from being able to get a plastic bag at a grocery store to no longer being able to do so. They found that one of the biggest challenges in promoting sustainable behaviors is to break old habits and adopt new ones, meaning if consumers start to form habits around safety, such as not using reusable cups at a coffee shop due to concerns about a virus, it can be hard to get them to break those habits even when the virus is no longer around. And that can have a long-term effect on how a company sets up its systems and how it projects where it's going to go into the future. And they might lose sight of what needs to be done in order to avoid regulatory or environmental catastrophe in the future. You know, there's a long-term risk that these companies um, aren't making enough progress this year uh, in addressing plastic waste. I mean, a lot of the packaging companies that that I look at um, have committed to making all of their products uh, reusable, recyclable, or, or uh, uh, compostable or biodegradable by 2025. Um, but since this pressure has been off this year, um, you know, some companies may have lost sight and lost focus on on achieving that this year. Um, you know, plastic in particular has a lot of great benefits and a reason why, you know, it's been under so much demand uh, in 2020 for COVID is because, it, you know, it creates a, a, a very nice barrier between outside world and, and the, the in, inside product. And what Sam noted to me was that those benefits that plastic creates are really useful and necessary for some industries, but not really necessary for others. So what might have to be done after COVID recedes is we're going to have to do some sort of cost-benefit analysis about all this plastic and paper waste that has re-entered our waste stream. Some industries, like the medical supplies industry, for example, are going to have to continue to lose plastics at a fast clip to ensure their patients are safe. Uh, so the companies that are supplying plastics to the medical industry are likely safe for the long run. But take the hygiene wipe industry. According to Sam's research, the hygiene wipe industry has helped reverse the long-running global decline in paper demand because people are just buying up sanitary wipes like crazy. But paper product companies have a big problem with biodiversity loss. And hypothetical thought here, 
If the paper industry were to try to shift its entire production line to hygiene wipes and increase supply, and then COVID ended, there might be a downturn in the purchasing of sanitary wipes and a lot of questions about biodiversity loss that the industry will have to answer. And it's something that we are seeing also in the biofuel industry. In recent months, a number of ethanol companies have said they are going to invest in hand sanitizer for the long haul. Companies like Pacific Ethanol, Green Plains, High Water Ethanol have said they are going to boost their capacity for high-grade alcohol that are used in hand sanitizers. The question is, will hand sanitizer be in such high demand after the pandemic twilight recedes? This is a question company boards might have to ask in the coming years. And so I thought I better ask that question now for me to find out and for you to hear about. So I gave my consummate governance know-it-all of a colleague, Rick Marshall, a call and asked him about what sort of moves we might want to see boards make during these trying times and what questions we should ask them as investors in companies that are making long-term bets on COVID-type products. You know, Mike, I think this is the difference between a, a strong board and, and a weak board, between good governance and poor governance. A strong board, they're up to this kind of a challenge. I mean, this is what boards do. Boards are charged with thinking about corporate strategy, and corporate strategy is often about solving problems. I mean, these are, these are problems that also have a, an upside to them. Um, they're problems that have opportunities embedded in them if boards can help management figure out creative ways to, to solve them and uh, adapt the business. You, you know, if you are, let, let's say you're in the waste management business and you are, you're, you're, your business model is, well, you take in waste and you dispose of it in some long-term safe fashion um, and you get paid to do that. Well, is it possible for you to turn that business around and get into the recycling business um, and figure out ways to take that that waste in, uh, not as an end product, so to speak, but as a as raw material? Um, now, obviously, there are lots of different challenges involved. There, there's lots of different decisions have to be made, and maybe new technologies to be developed. But again, the difference between a strong board and a weak board is that the strong board looks at this and says, opportunity. The weak board looks at it and says, oh, challenge. What are we going to do? This is what boards do. This is almost why we have corporate governance, because we need people dedicated to thinking about and coming up with creative new strategies to move business forward. There was an article this week in the Financial Times that said asset managers are going to push companies to do more on racial justice because they've been spurred on by the Black Lives Matter movement and the outcry about the killings of black people by police in the U.S. There's a chance, the Financial Times wrote, that next year's proxy season, the time when companies vote on new changes to the board and long-term business decisions, will see a spike in demands by investors that companies release more data on the racial makeup of their workforce. To discuss this, I have with me Megan Eastman. And last time we spoke about this, Megan, it was late May, early June, when the protests against the killing of George Floyd were on the top of everyone's mind. And we discussed how little public data uh, there is out there that shows a company's diversity. And I'm wondering if anything has changed since the last time we spoke. I think we have seen a somewhat unusual amount of investor activity on this 
because something has changed this time. And, and we did talk about you know, the, the fervor and the momentum of the movement a few months ago, coming up against the challenges of data for investors who wanted to do something about this in their portfolios and investors who are seeing um, social movements and racial inequality as a risk to companies in their portfolio as as well as a social problem that they wanted to help be part of the solution to. So, you know, at that point, there was really very little to work with. But what we've seen since then is investors specifically pressuring companies. And one great example of this is the New York City Comptroller's Office, which sent letters to 60 odd companies, large U.S. companies that they're invested in, asking them to publicly disclose the contents of their EEO-1 reports, which are the workforce racial diversity reports that, that companies have to submit to the U.S. government. And as of last month, September, 34 of those companies had publicly committed that they would do this starting in 2021. So 34 maybe doesn't sound like a big number, but it's going to more than double the amount of companies that we've looked at that are providing that information already. And at the same time, you've got some other large investors. So some of the other asset owners that we see in the United States who are taking this on as as part of their stewardship, but also some major asset managers. So smaller firms like Parnassus or Calvert that have long been focused on sustainability issues, but also big players like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley who are saying quite clearly that this is going to be on their agenda in the coming year. With regards to next year's proxy season and investors trying to get companies to disclose more on their racial diversity using shareholder resolutions, I think this route might be more successful for investors than climate resolutions, for example, have been. Because climate resolutions are kind of more easily scrutinized. If if an investor proposes that a company should measure its emissions, the company can come back and say, well, how do you want us to measure them? What scope of emissions, you know, scope one, two, or three? From what products do you want us to measure uh, our emissions for? There's just more ambiguity in those type of shareholder resolutions. But with racial data, aside from some ethical concerns companies might cite, it seems relatively straightforward. I think it's a strong possibility because you're right. If we're talking about U.S. companies that have to submit EEO-1 reports to the U.S. government, they're already doing this. And so the question is then, do they feel comfortable or is it within the range of what they can get comfortable with to disclose this information publicly? But it's not like they have to start from scratch to figure out how to measure it or how to put it together. So it's a very specific ask if that is in fact the proposal. And then the other piece of it is that this issue has gained so much momentum in the public mind and so much support that for a company to say, no, we will not do this, it's gonna have to explain itself and it's gonna face some pressure. And that's it for the week. I wanted to thank Sam and Rick and Megan for talking to me about this week's news with ESG Twist. And I want to thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review us. It always helps me. I am always learning. And if you don't mind, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That helps out as well. Thanks as always and talk to you next week. MSCI ESG Research podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. 
and this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.